Let's turn together to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 14 this morning. We're going to be reading a larger uh, portion of Scripture where we watch Jesus and how Jesus reacts uh, to this um, invitation to a meal, uh, a special invitation. And uh, we know the importance of eating. Uh, we know the importance of sharing meals together. Um, not only to consume food, but uh, for the, uh, all that happens around the table. I think some of our, our uh, most significant memories are around the table uh, and feasting together. i never forget the, the meal of spaghetti that I enjoyed at a friend's house. I can't remember how old I was, but uh, my friend, his dad was at the table and he loved the Three Stooges and he, was, uh, he could imitate their mannerisms and their voices perfectly. And so he would... He had just, you know, rare form, uh, made a Stooges joke, and I had, I had put the spaghetti in my mouth, washing it down with some milk, and out it shot, out my nose, across the table, onto my friend's plate of spaghetti. And so, um, after we commented how gross that was, then, then we were uh, laughing our heads off. It was a great memory. Um, now, spewing milk out of your nose is not the most uh, polite thing to do when you've been invited to a meal, or really at your own table as well. Uh, so when, when we see Jesus around the table in Luke's gospel, he's not spewing milk out of his nose, but he's saying things that would have been unexpected. Um, maybe that shouldn't surprise us anymore. Um, you know, Jesus' table etiquette here, what he says to those gathering uh, is more than enough to make them a bit uncomfortable. Um, we, we continue to see Jesus speaking into um, the situation. He's bringing, shining the light of the kingdom, the virtues of the kingdom um, into what he sees, into what he hears. Uh, so we know by now that the Pharisees are trying to discredit Jesus. Um, they want to, to catch him off guard. They want to watch him carefully, to undermine his authority, to undermine um, his ministry. And so one of them, a very prominent Pharisee, decides he's going to invite Jesus to his house for a meal so that he and the others could uh, watch him. And so while Jesus is on his way, or soon after he arrives, uh, he heals a man with a very uh, painful disease, um, and then he shows them again the fulfillment of the law on uh, the Sabbath. Uh, God's law is a law of love, a law of uh, mercy that doesn't stop on the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees could try and keep all these Sabbath regulations, which we know they couldn't, when they certainly couldn't save them, or they could look to the fulfillment of the Sabbath in the person work of Jesus. So the Pharisees are, are looking, they're looking at Jesus, but not looking to Jesus as the source of authority and life. So Jesus has more that he's going to show them uh, when he gets to the house here. So Luke chapter 14 one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. 
when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. And when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Well, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's holy and enduring word. Let's pray together. Lord God, your word is living and active, and it searches out our hearts. Uh, Lord, it is only what your word can do uh, in us, um, in us that we depend on this morning. Lord, teach us. Show us your grace, your kindness, and help us, Holy Spirit, to illumine our hearts that we might understand this word and apply it faithfully um, to life as your people, uh, the covenant community of faith, to life as individuals. Lord, as we look to you, uh, the one who is a God of hospitality, the one who has invited us and so many more um, to this banquet. Lord, to tune our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever watched the musical, The Newsies, uh, then you know the famous Jack Kelly. Uh, Jack Kelly was the leader of all of the the runaways and the orphans in New York City who were selling uh, papers, and uh, they're they're a ragtag bunch, but Jack is one of the older ones, and he's really good at, at doing what he does and selling these papers, and so the Newsies have to buy their papers, um, just like you know, all business, have got to sell them for a few cents more than what they, they bought them for to make a profit. Well, old man Pulitzer, is he's got the highest office in New York City, and he's the one who makes the paper. And he decides that he's going to 
put a few extra pennies in his pocket as if he needs them, and so he's going to raise the price for uh, the Newsies in purchasing their papers. Um, and so the Newsies sort of form this union across New York City, and they're going to strike and stand against uh, Pulitzer. And uh, Pulitzer has a very hard time silencing uh, the Newsies. And so in a last-ditch effort, he tries to persuade their leader, he tries to persuade Jack to actually sell papers for him. He can have a new suit, uh, more money than he knows what to do with, stuffed in his pockets, and he can sell uh, papers for Pulitzer. A strong offer for Jack. Uh, he's been dreaming about getting out of New York City, going to Santa Fe, making a new life for himself. And now was the opportunity. He had a friend in a very high place uh, that could help him out. And so you can imagine the amazement of his friends when they see him walking out in this new suit. A little cap on, money in his pocket. How could this happen? You sold us out. How could you do this, Jack? Um, sort of traded in in pursuit of his uh, status, uh, the break that he'd been waiting for. I think there's a danger that we all face at times, um, and certainly one that we, we see here in this house that Jesus has been invited to. It's, it's the pursuit of honor, pursuit of recognition, maybe some status. We want to be noticed, and not just noticed by anybody, but noticed by the right people. Uh, to have friends in high places, the right places, who can help us out, who can work in our favor. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a friend in high places, but it's our pursuit of those type of, of relationships, those type of alliances and the prestige that comes with it that can, can bring a nasty idol into our hearts. Uh, idol pursuit of status, the idol pursuit of, of recognition. Uh, this is the crowd that I ought to be a part of. This is the way that I ought to be treated. Uh, so easily pulls us away from the Lord God who exalts the humble and brings down the proud. Um, but the kingdom is, is different. The kingdom values of, that Jesus teaches, that he models, are a real corrective to this. And he shows us in these two parables uh, how to respond, how to counter in Christ that desire for status and reputation, the approval of others. Uh, so there's a series of lessons here that I want us to look at all tied together uh, in Luke 14. The first lesson is addressed to all, all the others who were invited to the meal along with Jesus. It's a lesson of humility before God. These are, these are the Pharisees, these are the experts in the law. And so as they come to recline, they're sort of you know, jockeying for position around the table, trying to sit a little bit closer to the host. Well, maybe their comments will be heard then by everybody else. Maybe it's a place a little more legroom, like the exit aisle on an airplane or something. Um, I'm picturing a classroom, and I think things have changed a lot since we were in the classroom and the bell would ring. Remember that? And then the kids would get up for, for recess or for, for lunch. And what would they do? They'd all kind of scramble to the door to, to form their line, maybe a little jockeying, a little pushing and shoving. Hey, I was here first. Um, so we see happenings. It's, that's very appealing to our sinful nature, is it not? Someone has to be number one, so it might as well be me. I read a little snippet from a pastor who had 
invited another pastor from India to stay at his house, spend some time with their church family. And at one point, this guest pastor, uh, he said something pretty, pretty alarming when he commented, you Americans are all alike. You always have to be at the front of the line. Uh, ouch. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great little one-line commentator or commentary here on what you know, is the mentality of so much um, uh, so much that we are as Americans. But it, seeks, it speaks directly to the condition of our hearts. This is what Jesus is observing on this Sabbath day. It is a lack of, of perception and humility among those who are supposed to model this. They're supposed to be examples of the spiritual elite. So Jesus counters, he instructs with the values of the kingdom. And what he says first, uh, very, very practical maybe appeals to the not-so-common common sense, your lack of humility could actually lead to humiliation. If you take the place of honor, and then someone more honorable comes in, and you have to move to a seat somewhere else, now all eyes are on you, and you change lots of shades of red. Save yourself the embarrassment, Jesus is saying. Take a lower place at the table so that you won't be ashamed. I think Jesus' point here is going well beyond just seats around a table for a meal. His concern is with the attitude of our hearts. What is the, what is the motivation for doing what we do? Saying what we say. See, we can, show, we can show a certain humility or a level of humility in our behavior, but the motivation of our hearts is very different. We may still be giving ourselves that highest place, that favored status in our hearts while taking the lowest seat. So here's where I need, I think we need to be brutally honest with ourselves. What is the motivation behind my words, behind my actions? Am I trying to really honor myself or am I willing to let God do the honoring and distribute that honor as He desires? And this is a conversation we need to be having with ourselves all the time. Because if we're just letting our hearts run rampant, that desire for honor and recognition, uh, that, that, that's going to creep in before we ever know it's left. Spending time before the Lord. Speaking, singing the music of the gospel to our hearts, cultivating that humility before God uh, and other people. So the source, honor of praise in the kingdom of God, it comes from Him. It doesn't come from society. doesn't come from the expectations of others. See, God acknowledges and exalts the humble and judges those who seek uh, their own honor. See, when we humble ourselves, we are showing our allegiance to the Lord Jesus who Himself took the lowest place. I mean, talk, talk about a 180, a whole new value system. Talk about a new motivation for, for speaking and doing what we do. Jesus left His place of honor as the one and only begotten Son of God for a place of humility, for the lowest place as a servant. And He took that lowest place for you. He took that lowest place for me because when you really think about it, that's where we should be. That's where we're standing. 
before a just and holy God. We are in the, in the back of the line. And then Jesus says, I'll take your place. You go to the front of the line. You take a seat at the head of the table, closer to the host. Jesus embodies this service and humility so that we are honored in the presence of God. So to humble himself, that was the greatest uh, honor and joy for Jesus. And it becomes ours as well. So the more we grow in the likeness of Christ, the more our character is going to reflect this uh, humility. We can actually take joy and contentment in the honor that God gives and not, not what we can sort of glean from others. So when you are praised, when you're offered encouragement, receive those things as a gift, but we're not demanding them. Because as soon as we start thinking, you know, I had this coming, this makes sense, I deserve this, that's when we start moving away from the heart of Jesus. Humility before God begins here, is demonstrated before others. So Jesus isn't done yet, now he turns his attention uh, to those who have been invited um, by the host. Um, actually, no, that's what we just talked about. I misspoke there. He's, he's turning to the one doing the inviting. He's turning to the, the host. Uh, this is lesson number two, the importance of helping the helpless. Helping the helpless. This man had clearly invited the elite, those that he knew, those that he was comfortable hanging around. Maybe those who would certainly invite him back somewhere along the line. And so Jesus shares really some similar instruction that he gives his disciples in Luke chapter 6. If you love and serve those who really love you in return and are sure to serve you in return, um, what is that really showing? You know, is it showing where, whose blessing do you really seek if that is what you're doing? So take a good look at your invitation list and whose blessing you're after. Okay, now Jesus is not in, he's not speaking against enjoying a nice meal with your family or with friends. Jesus did this many times. He spent his last meal with those closest to him. And we've mentioned all the memories and the importance of spending time as families around the table. Uh, but if that's all we're doing, if our table is only open to those that we know and love and have the potential to pay us back, uh, then it, it may be an indication of, of a misguided heart, an indication that we don't really understand true hospitality. So Jesus is challenging the host, he's challenging us to be genuinely hospitable to extend this mercy and love to the unlovely, to love the stranger. Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And we can be hospitable to those that we know and love. We should be. I hope we are. But that's not the real test of our hospitality. The test is whether our invitation list ever includes those in need. Maybe those that we don't know all that well. Maybe outside our social circles. That makes me a little uncomfortable. 
just to mention that. Maybe it does you as well. Um, Professor Jaron Bars, he's got an excellent uh, line here on true hospitality in his book, Learning Evangelism from Jesus. Here's what he says. Mercy is not to be limited to an occasional charitable act in which we give a little money to the needy to salve our consciences. Instead, we must take action and give ourselves to behavior that impacts and challenges our own comfortable lifestyles and home arrangements. There's mercy. Um, we consider the blessing that comes from God when we extend that type of hospitality. And they may not accept your invitation. They may not even speak the same language. They may not bring anything for the dinner. They may not send you a thank you note. They may not invite you to their home. You may never see them again. But God sees and He will repay. And that payment may come in this life in some ways. But it will certainly come at the resurrection when the King returns. So are we shaped by the grace and mercy of God, the one who cares for the needy like us, that we become more and more aware of those in need, more and more aware of those who are overlooked. So we begin to, to look for this, ways to encourage and affirm others in the footsteps of our Savior who says, I'll sit here, you sit here, in the place of honor at the table. So what does this uh, hospitality, this concern for the needy uh, really look like? What does it look like in your home? What does it look like in this larger home, in the church? I think as Trinity Fellowship, we have a, a gift for hospitality. Um, we like to spend time together. We like to, to feast together. I'm often uncomfortable on the Sunday afternoons of a fellowship lunch because of how much food we have to share. But how is our understanding of hospitality challenged with this word from Jesus? Um, you know, what would it look like to have a a fellowship lunch here at the church uh, where we invite those that we normally wouldn't think about or normally wouldn't invite. Maybe not even normally have them in our homes. Um, and they're certainly not going to be darkening the doors of the church on Sunday morning. And I, I'm not talking here about let's put another sign out front um, or something you know, in the paper or in the radio or, or advertising in that way. But, but more personal invitations to folks that you know in your neighborhoods, in your circles. And I realize it may start with some watermelon or a glass of iced tea in your driveway or your garage. You kind of build that. That's a place for instructions to build that, that relational capital. But you know the folks I'm talking about. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Brad, they're not going to accept the invitation. We all just go to our houses and, and live in our own little islands in the middle of a neighborhood. They haven't wanted to talk before. I've tried. They're going to turn down the invitation. But you know what other excuses can we make? The answer is yes to all of those things. But um, what are we about? Whose favor and blessing do we seek? Um, and so I, I want to suggest this, not just so we can fill the letter of Luke chapter 14, but you know, who knows how the Lord may use this. Just a simple hello, an invitation. That could be the catalyst for genuine hospitality uh, in the name of Christ. So let's keep, keep that on our minds. Let's keep throwing out ideas as a church family and how we can encourage hospitality. 
in our homes and when we're together here in this kingdom outpost like we talked about uh, last week. So back to the parables. Third lesson we find here is there is hope at the table. Now we don't know if they had started eating yet. Maybe their stomachs had been turned by what Jesus was uh, saying here. And so one of them tries to change the subject. Sort of relieve the awkwardness, right, in uh, verse 15. Blessed is everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. I mean, this guy is a hoot. He does what most of us would do um, when we're feeling awkward or maybe a little uncomfortable. Did you see the forecast for next week? You know, how about those hogs? Huh? What, a, what a game that was. Uh, well, what do you think is going to happen after this next, I don't know, executive order or a phrase by some political pundit? Okay, but Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. He doesn't let us off the hook. Anyone else in this room? You know, thinking that their place at the table in God's kingdom is somehow secure and warm and cozy and waiting for them. I mean, of course, it's only going to be the the godly Jews, the righteous ones who will be present at the table. That's their clear assumption. So Jesus shares this other banquet story. Those who are initially invited, they they make up excuses as to why they can't come to the feast. Um, So the master invites others, like the poor and the crippled and the blind, the lame, very similar grouping you see in verse 13. Gather them all, urge them to come in, and my house would be full. Because none of those who presumed on their invitation are actually going to feast at the banquet. Now Luke doesn't comment here on whether these excuses in verses 18 through 20, he doesn't comment on whether they're valid or not. They're not overly bad excuses. Sometimes excuses can be good. Other times, not so good. The point is that each of these guests made something else a higher priority than the banquet. There were things that were just more important on their agenda. So the master of the banquet, is he's the one who wants to invite them in. He's the one who's passionate about filling his table, about filling his home. The Lord God is passionate to extend and share his salvation with people. With humanity. So what's the priority? Is God's invitation to His table, His offer of salvation, that should be priority. It should be of greater concern in our lives. Um, I remember the name of this quarterback. He was interviewed after a Super Bowl game. He won the, the Super Bowl. I think it was on CBS. And he said he was going to mention his priorities now that he had won uh, the big game. He was going to go hug his wife uh, drink a lot of Budweiser, and thank the man upstairs. Um, and again, I, I don't know this man's heart, how he actually prioritizes his time. But it sounded like God would get the nod if he ever got around to it. I mean, this was a Super Bowl. This was a big game. That's a big deal. Okay, You, you can hear him saying, right? I just won the Super Bowl. I won't be at this banquet. I don't need this banquet. Trying to translate that into our own lives so we can be so distracted with the things of life that we give little mind to the kingdom of God, the life that's been extended. Give little mind to the lordship of Christ and all these other concerns of life. That, you know, just winning a big game, but maybe it's just the everyday, making a meal, driving to work, 
um, all, all that comes in between. So the Pharisee here, he stands as a direct contradiction to the very presence and preaching of Jesus. Blessed is everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is standing there in the person of Christ. So to miss that or to, to reject that, not only are you going to miss the kingdom now, but any future enjoyment of that kingdom. To eat bread at the king's table, to share in the future kingdom, one must be part of the present kingdom. Not just looking at Jesus, but looking to Jesus as one who extends mercy. To Jesus as true hospitality to the poor and needy, just like you and me. So Jesus is gathering a new community around himself. And it is a table where God is the divine host. It's a place of fellowship and reconciliation where the poor and the undeserving can feast without payment. I love how the prophet Isaiah describes this feast for all of God's people in chapter 25. He says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken." That is the blessed hope and promise for all who are in Christ, all who acknowledge their need and align with Jesus and His humility and hospitality. So I'll bring us back to Jack Kelly. Remember him? Um, that leader of the Newsies. Well, he took a little advice from the mayor of the city, which happened to be Teddy Roosevelt at the time. He took some advice and he turned in his new suit. Uh, he went back to what it is he knew, uh, back to his friends, his real riches, selling the banner for a penny a pape. Uh, he, he, would, he wouldn't trade it now for the world. So what other excuses do, do we have? Are, are we trading the riches of heaven and the bounty of God's table for a little attention, a little status now? Uh, I want to be at that table. I want to see you at that table. The great wedding feast of the Lamb. And God knows His own. He, he's extended this invitation in the Lord Jesus. And so to accept this is to follow Him in faith, to humble ourselves before Him and with Him, because only in this humility will we be exalted. Only in Christ will we eat bread in the kingdom of our God. And we may find that there are those around the table that we didn't expect to be there. Or maybe we'll see the ones that, that we do expect to be there because they will be ones just like us who have been forgiven and restored by Christ. You look forward to that? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you have humbled yourself you have shown us what true humility and hospitality looks like. Taking the lowest place that we might be exalted.
before you. We thank you for this gift of love. And pray, Lord, that it would be extended now through us as we consider your great mercy and the invitation that you have given to us. Lord, show us, even as you do humble us in your infinite wisdom and divine providence, show us how we can love as you have loved, sacrifice as you have sacrificed, and extending to those who are needy, oppressed, who are hurting. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for feeding us now more of yourself through your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.